welcome to AAPIs at Ogden, where we talk about all things related to the Asian American Pacific Islander community at Ogden College. My name is Dear and I am your host. Working in education as a Southeast Asian, I often feel left out when talking about supporting Asian American students. People tend to focus on the overall success of the Asian racial category. The data that many institutions use to justify that Asian students are doing well doesn't really represent my community. According to a 2011 report published by the National Commission on Asian American and Pacific Islander Research in Education, 34% of Laotian, 39% of Cambodian, and 40% of Hmong adults over the age of 25 do not have a high school diploma or equivalent. Over 60% of these populations have not attended college. Many Southeast Asian students are first-generation, low-income. Southeast Asians are invisible, and their narratives don't always get included in the overall Asian American diaspora. So many of you may wonder, why don't we get to hear about this group? And that leads to today's episode. To help me talk about the Southeast Asian experience in higher education, I invited my good friend Albert Chantaburi. Albert is a Lao American, Chicago-born native. He completed his undergrad at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he received his master's degree at Northeastern Illinois University, and Albert is now a PhD student in community psychology at National Lewis University. He is currently doing a research on the impacts of the model minority myth on Southeast Asian students in higher education. Albert, thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your journey to higher education? Uh, I am half Lao, half Thai. My mother is Laotian and my father is Thai. In, in terms of like my educational journey, um, I bo- born and raised in Chicago. And what really made me pursue and really advance my educational journey was my mother. You know, she played a huge role and influence to my brother and I when we were growing up. My father left when we, when we were about three years old. So she, did, she didn't know what to push us towards to or how to get us well equipped with the educational system. She just knew that she had to push us. So a little bit about background about my mother. She came in because of the Vietnam War. So her and her sister was able to get out and was one of the lucky ones to leave the Vietnam War at, at, at such a young age. She went to Sen High School, uh, but unfortunately she dropped out to work full time. And, you know, I, I never really reflected on what that looked like for her. And reflecting about it um, recently, it's because, you know, there was a disconnect when it comes to like refugees and coming in like the 60s, 70s and a disconnect with school, success. Why am I here? What does the road look like? And it just weighed in on our opportunities, which led to her, unfortunately, dropping out versus other people who understood the pipeline to education, who understood what a GED can do and such. But it's uncertain for people uh, like refugees and people who don't understand our system. Yeah, but because of that, she pushed my brother and I to the limits, take opportunities to go for what she wasn't able to do when she was younger, that would lead to a better life. Because what she has now, she believes that our path is way better than um, the path that she's taken. So your mom is definitely your motivator. She inspired you and your brother to pursue something that's better than what she had. And so as an immigrant, it's hard to leave home. And so I'm curious if you could tell me a little bit how you end up in Madison and what it was like coming back to Chicago. That's a great question. So I, when, when I look back in my educational journey, you know, in high school, I, I just wanted to succeed so bad. 
you know, I wanted to be someone to something. I just need to just work my butt off. And then I don't know where I met my sophomore geometry teacher. His name was Mr. Menon. Coolest dude ever, you know? Uh-huh. And, and like, you know, he was just so dope. And I'm like, man, I, I, he's very inspirational because one, he's getting his job done, but he can connect to students really well. And one day after class, I asked him like, hey, I, I don't know what I want to do with my life, but I know I want to make a, a huge impact to, to people to become better. And then he's like, okay, well, and then we, we just talked more. And then uh, towards the end of the year, he gave me this big envelope. And I was like, what is this? He's like, just open it. And I look at the envelope and he was like, hey, you've been nominated to be a posse scholar. And then from there, my journey kicked off. And in the summer, I went to one of the informational meetings. And then uh, the Posse Scholarship was about three rounds. And those who were selected got a full ride. And I didn't think I was going to get it because, uh, I don't know, I just didn't feel like I was up to par with everyone. I didn't think that my mission to impact lives was valid. I didn't think that my A in geometry was better than that student's A in mm-hmm. geometry. But no, the, the posse scholarship and the rounds was was very fruitful. And, you know, they they pretty much filtered out a lot of students. And then uh, of the 10 schools that we got to pick, that pick UW-Madison and their admissions team got to come down to Chicago and select 10 of the 30 finalists. And I was one of them. And I was ecstatic, though, but... It was great having a scholarship and going away for school, but I've always asked myself to this day, like, what did my classmates think? Was it because I was hardworking or was it because I was Asian that I was hardworking? And, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to answer that. But and if, they, and, if, and if they did believe in either of that, did they think that I even had struggle? You know, did they think that I had like this perfect life or something? I, I heard uh, the reason why I said that is because I ran into a friend of mine. He was a uh, he, he was working at um, one of the car washes as one of his side hustles, and he was like, "Hey, man, Albert, you know, you just seem like you just have this perfect life." And I'm like, "Man, it's far from it." My parents come from refugee, and how I lived with my brother growing up, like one bedroom apartment, slept on a futon, shared it with him too. You know, we were very reserved and frugal. As we got bigger, we got a bunk bed. It just replaced the futon. I swear, it was like it was like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like bunk bed, dining, TV, fridge, you know, and no, and and I studied there. That's where I did my homework. I just got up, went to the table, studied there. My mom made Ovaltine and breakfast, and oh, Sunday, yeah, yeah. Sundays were laundry days at the laundromat. The Lote man became like our best friends on Sundays. We never ate out boiled water, so we didn't have to buy it. Yeah, we, we struggled. And, you know, and I don't think people know that. I don't think people see that. Even though, like, I got this scholarship and went to Madison, I, I felt discounted in a way because I felt like they just saw right through me. It just didn't sit right with the community that I was a part of. Over, over the years, I came back to Chicago, got my master's um, in higher education at a Hispanic serving institution. And although they didn't talk broadly about other cultures or other um, or, or other ethnic groups like within the system, um, we learned about the overarching issues that dove deeply into, you know, Latinos and, and their struggles into educational success. But if you apply that, like those, those models and learning curves into other 
ethnic groups, they, they're, it, it's common, you know, that the pipeline is similar. It's just, you know, there, there are some instances that it may be difficult, but because of that program, you know, I wanted to push myself further up to like access to higher education. And I believe that starting before college to, to learn what's happening in, the, in those areas in um, adolescence is key to understanding or fixing the issues we have in higher education. So now I, I advanced my degree further to get a PhD in community psychology. And I think their analogy is just perfect. Mm-hmm. They say this, they say, um, imagine uh, you and your community is at a, your village next to a river and you see babies flowing down the stream. And then you'll have your nurses that go to the river, they get the baby and they take care of them. And then you'll have your doctors performing surgeries on the ones who like got hurt. You'll have your engineers building something (laughs) to catch Mm -hmm. the babies more efficiently. But then as a community psychologist, we'll march up the river and, and figure out why there's babies flowing down the street. And I think that's so pinnacle to understanding like, what what is this disconnect that the Southeast Asian community is going through so we can tackle it at such an early stage. So when it is time to go to college, you are college ready and you know what that means. Being college ready, like that term did not that I didn't understand that term until like after college, like what was college ready? Well, like how, how do we become that? And to know that other students were college ready by like junior year in high school sophomore year in high school like what you know they were set to go and then now we start college and now you're already losing or you're already behind in this marathon or this race or whatever you want to call it and it's so unfortunate right like how the system doesn't look at southeast asian um i can relate with you albert like there were times growing up i felt like history lessons didn't really speak to me And I know that model minority myth has to do with it because it creates this racial hierarchy within the communities of color and it's really being used to pin each other down. And so besides model minority myths, like what else? Like why is it so hard for people to look at Southeast Asian and their educational pipeline? It's the data that is the issue. And I I follow this, a researcher, her her name is Oyen Poon. Mm-hmm. She's this associate professor in Colorado for higher ed and is the director of RISE. You know, she's she she talks about if if there's a lack of representation of Asian Americans as a whole in these leadership roles, then it's so easy to fall into deficit thinking. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. Let me get into this. So deficit thinking is they play the uh, what's the achievement gap between white students and black and Latino, but they didn't mention the Asian category. It's because these Asian categories was lumped into the white category. So they yep. made the achievement gap so large, you know, like, and, and, and unfortunately, this is why our stories are not heard. Our stories are discounted. It's because now we moved into this model of this thinking where support does not come for us because we don't need it. We're honorary white students, white folks, you know. If administration is not knowledgeable about the model minority myth and the damage it can do, it is destructible. And I'm telling you, like, my college career at Madison was, it, it was okay because I found, uh, I found my support group there with my fraternity. And, you know, like myself, uh, we worked through struggles with each other. But for a student who didn't have that support group by themselves, 
you know, you like mental health might have not been a thing in the 2000s, you know, or 1900s that you'll probably get laughed at or the stereotype of using services, you know, you could have fallen into that trap. But yeah, so but now we look into this achievement gap and, you know, yeah, uh, as a whole, Asians, we do well. But then pick that data apart. Like, you know, we, we mentioned disaggregate data over and over again. But when will an institution do it? You're right. There's not a lot of research that focus on the Southeast Asian population. You know, like even when you look at the on a grand scheme of things of higher ed professionals, like I can barely name more than 10 Southeast Asian student affairs practitioner or student affairs scholars, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of people who look like us. And if there is, I mean, they are in different industry. I remember when I first met you at Northeastern and you were like, oh, DM Lao and Thai. I'm like, what? (laughs) What? I I never, uh, uh, so who, you? Like, oh, (laughs) Swadika, you know, and I remember that. It it was like the first time I felt seen in, 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 in the field. I remember when I first got into higher education and in my GA position and, and more, it was like, you know, they, I, it was nice to be like, you know, it's nice to have that position, but if that position is not supported, then you're already set to fail. Right. You know, and even, in, even when I was the program coordinator at NEIU, it was, it was so difficult to get approval and I'm, and it wasn't a race-based thing. It just wasn't backed by people who think other events would be better. But yeah, even the presence of our community in 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 the entertainment industry in speaking gigs, right? Like, there's not a lot of people who look like us. And so, when there is one that we want to bring, you know, we always get pushed back. Like, this is not a this is not a headliner. This is not a well-known name. So why should we bring them? Why should we waste our money when we could have? Use that mm-hmm. money to bring up uh, someone who's more well-known. And sometimes we just want someone who looks like us and can speak to yeah. our experience. Yeah. And uh, to bring it back to like a PETA, PETA month, you know, it was, uh, it was a PETA month when I was a part of the committee was very challenging because there were one, there was, there's so many groups. There's so many groups, so many stories to tell, so many events to have. But here's a hundred dollars. Go, go, go satisfy everybody. Go, go, go do the best event that you can. You know, that that's how it felt, the the short change of the sticks. And and then who in administration it has our backs that look like us? Even if there, even if there's like a college in like the middle of nowhere and the Asian representation is zero on the administration, mm-hmm. do your research, do the work. Don't, yeah. don't, don't, you know, don't, don't put on rush hour. Please don't put on rush hour. <laughs> don't put on crazy rich Asians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's one of those things where like, you, you know, ignorance is insane. And I know our job when we're, we're faced with ignorance is to address it and correct it. That is, that is, that is what it's, we're supposed to happen, but we, we get tired, dear. Right. Like <laughs> we get tired and, you know, and we're coming off a pandemic where it, like racism against Asian folks was on every corner of the block in the United States. And and you have people saying, oh, it's your 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 crying wolf or they'll play oppression Olympics. 
and that's another story that of like another rabbit hole we go in later but you know it's it's the discounting the invisibility the struggle to to be seen is 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 unreal sometimes for the southeast asian community because because of the modern minority myth because of grouping mm-hmm. you know like it's it's hard it's definitely hard yeah we get tired you know having to explain that we're not chinese you know i don't know how many times i get um people ask me like do you speak chinese i'm like no i don't and then you know people were like do you say your Thai is in taiwan i'm like oh no no <laughs> oh god no let me explain to you like, oh yeah that's a common one now that's a very common one like i'm Thai as in taiwan it's like no Thai as in thailand oh like no. those things just get to us sometimes yeah, you know? it, and, it, it adds up and and i'll tell you this though i i was one of those people you know like you said earlier i kept my head down yeah and it just built and when you ask me like what what drives me to be in school you know i, I always think of fourth grade when my, my when one of my friends is like albert i got a joke for you and then he was like how do you come up with chinese names you just throw a fork down down the stairs it goes ching chong chang. I was like, and and at that point, like I just remember everyone just laughing, like uh. laughing. And even my brother was laughing. <laughs> he was like, oh, that's all funny. Like, you know, and I and I, and I, I wasn't laughing. I'm like, I, I get what they were saying, but I just like, you know, I just like kept my head down. I'm like, I, I think that's mean, you know. Yeah, that was mean. Like, I remember hearing that joke too growing up and to this day, I still don't find it funny because I don't know what made it so funny. You know what I mean? So, but but anyways, we've been talking a lot today, Albert. So as we are wrapping up today's call, do you have any tips or advice for faculty and staff in terms of what they can do to support Asian American students? Okay. Yeah. Um, as we were saying earlier, it was, you know, we, it, it's hard to find people like us in administration and staff and higher ed and student affairs so if if there are students who you feel that are just not clicking and you know that they need help and your gut is telling you that they need help or something reach out because we were trained from birth to not ask for help (laughs) and i and i and i still think it's true to this day so Mm -hmm. be there if a student really needs you um, for a PETA month, don't put on a movie, go do the deep dive, mm-hmm. have those sessions and teach culture. You know, I've, I've seen school teach. All right, today we're going to roll sushi and we're going to learn why we do sushi and, and everyone's rolling sushi and, and like knowing the history by like making meaningful for DI mm-hmm. initiative. Dear, you, you've said it earlier that, you know, like the, the, the support for these celebratory months shouldn't be staggered. You know, like we get this one faculty, they get this whole bunch. It should just be one board doing all these cell, like they'll be educated about it. Would they be interested in it? Maybe, but the impact that group will do and learn and provide that feedback to the leadership and the upper, upper, upper administration is going to be what we need. Mm-hmm. Um more representation in leadership roles so we can have our voices heard. Um, I talked about during the pandemic, we had to like Asian racism, racism happen. I schools do post, you know, you know, Facebook has that little square 
no no hate and it's like you know it's just mm-hmm. a square yeah. like do do more than just put up a square or do more than just post something up you know like have have those dialogue make those spaces if things like those happen i still think it does linger mm-hmm. and the the last piece is institutional research we say disaggregate the data over and over again you know from the lit reviews that I've done for my thesis and my project, it's, it's, it, they're mentioning the same things over and over again, more Asian representation, disaggregate the data, more representation, disaggregate the data. We can't control representation as much as you think if no one's applying for it, but I'm just saying, you know, mm-hmm. like, if, and, and then, dear, you know, like you're, you are like you, like, for instance, like what you're doing is, so meaningful and impactful. Like I put you on my snap when you invited me and sent me a screenshot. My people were, wow, they're waiting for this to be over. They're waiting for you to edit this and send them the link. Like I tell you, they're ready for this. Like, you know, I got nurses calling me. Hey, is the podcast done? I didn't even do it yet. (laughs) This is during the weekend, you know, like what you're doing, like it's when you're not looking, you know, it's, you know, like you probably didn't even know the impact they're like, you know, it's just the word of mouth. I'm not sure if there's other podcasts are out there who does this talks, but this, this, that this is meaningful for me because we don't get to talk about it that much. Right. No. And, and, and now there, there's some substance here. And yeah, I think that this is one of the domino pieces that you are knocking over and we need more representation like yourself and for you to be supported as much as you can be. No, there's no such thing as not enough support. Right. And I would love to have additional support, right? Because this work is not one person's work. It is everybody's work. So I know we've been talking a lot, Albert. So I want to take a moment to really thank you for taking the time to hang out with me today. And I would love to have you back to talk about your research and your findings on how Southeast Asian students internalize the model minority myth stigma because i know we didn't get to touch into today but yeah i'd love to come back and you know that this is the longest podcast interview i ever had to do <laughs> it's a and, this, and you know and we can go and you know, we can go on all day all, all day, day you know mm-hmm. of the different rabbit holes that we've created from this podcast <laughs> that which we enjoy doing but these are the conversations that we need to have and Thank you for having me. I'd love to be back. And that's it. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoy talking to Albert. It was so nice to really talk to someone who share a very similar experience as Southeast Asian. In the next episode, I will be talking about Asian Americans and mental health. So if you like this podcast, make sure you share and follow us. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you all next time.